0: So we are in Romans uh, chapter 7. We are exiting chapter 6. We are charging away through this book. And um, most of you have been trekking with us along our journey. I'm simply going to catch us up to speed in Romans 7 in this sense. So far in this book, Paul has introduced the gospel of Jesus Christ, this amazing story that God is righteous, comes to humanity, both Jewish and non-Jewish, is broken and stained by sin, and extends hope to us by the work the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus and not our own performance but in doing that he it's all no you know nothing's held back like we we are covered in sin and the good news of Jesus isn't that we are less covered in sin the good news of Jesus is that his grace and his work is far greater than our sin it's a greater grace and in that process particularly in chapters four five and six he's working out some some technicalities of that some implications of that because we as christians don't just learn a couple words about god and then build implications and build a worldview of implications we keep coming back to the text because you can't guess where god's going you can't guess who he is your eyes are too small your brain is too weak your life is too short you're not god and so the things we know about god are the things that god shows us about god so we're always staying tuned we're always getting fresh in who God is and how he works and this great story of grace brings up some questions and one of the questions was back in chapter six well so if sin increase and grace is bigger should I sin more so we get better grace and he goes no that's not how it works and number two sin is terrible and it's a harsh master and it's brutal and God through the work of Jesus has freed you from being a slave to sin and he goes check this one out you didn't know this but you're always going to be a slave and you're going to be a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness and this is the wonderful work of Jesus, is that he abolishes our slavery to sin and makes us slaves of righteousness, and that's a really, really good thing. And then chapter 7, he turns the corner yet to an, another unique, unforeseen detail. Because while we before Christ, um, when we were before Christ in our unsaved state, we had a double bondage. We had a bondage to sin. But introducing today's text, and this is a little bit deep waters, but you can handle it, You were owned by a contract. All people were owned by a contract. The contract is called the law. The contract is called the Mosaic Covenant. It had rights on us. So there's a real problem that the Jewish-informed believers in Rome are wrestling with. So aren't I a two-timer? If I come to Jesus and follow Jesus' ways, because I know God's ways were the Old Testament, and now God's ways are Jesus' ways, am I 2 time in here? Am I betraying God's Old Testament roots by holding on to Jesus? And he uses a pretty amazing argument here and describes how that's not the case. So let me pray, and we will dive in. So Father, you tell us of your spirit at the end of, chapter, of verse 6 here. And Father, I need him. I will always need him, and we need him to listen, and I need him to speak. And I pray, Father, that you would please help us to look to you, sharpen our minds, uh, quicken our hearts, empower us by your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. So take a look in chapter 1, verse 1, is chapter 7. Uh, my first point today is, our title is, Belonging to the One Who Leads by the Spirit. Our first piece today is this, know your connection to the Mosaic Code. Know your connection to the Mosaic Code. Verse 1, do you not know, brothers? So make sure you're reading, because we're going to keep going back and forth out of this, so you've got to have it in front of you. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So I'm speaking to those people that understand and have a heart for the Old Testament. That was a good thing. I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives law okay that's the term that law in this passage here is referring to the mosaic code scroll back history 1500 years abraham unworthy man sinner like y- me and your mom uh, he's walking along god comes to him in grace and says abraham i will save you abraham places his faith in god and god counts it as righteousness And then God starts to unfold over time, a whole pile of promises and plans and how he would lead. And years later, he really unfolds that in this guy named Moses, where God really unfolds his plan, really unfolds a whole code of obedience and makes a nation out of the Israelites, all that kind of stuff, right? So when we hit the word law in this text time and time again, we're referring to the Mosaic Code. It's the laws that God gave through Moses to all of humanity at that time. So in chapter 7, verse 1, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. So he says something that probably they don't know. And unless you've read this passage before today, you did not know. The old covenant law was binding on a person until the day that they would die. That's the nature of it. It's there. He then moves in to explain it by giving an analogy. So the Old Testament came from God. It's not Moses' came from God, these people, these, these, these Roman believers have a genuine concern. They want to know, okay, what do we do with the Old Testament? You have a Bible in your hand or an iPad or something like that. And if you close that thing, roughly three-quarters of the stuff between your fake leather is Old Testament. And it didn't come from a man. And it did come from God. And it was inspired by God. It was breathed out by God. And it was perfect. And it contains a multi-millennium description of God's purposes and power and 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 his ways for life it was actually from God and these people wanted to know and you probably should want to know this too what do you do with the first three quarters between the leather it's a very fair question because if it came from God you can't ditch it if it came from me you could throw it away but that came from God it wasn't it wasn't the evolution of a culture; it actually came from God. That's the argument of the Old Testament regarding it, and that's actually the argument of the New Testament. It tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and first target is talking about there is actually the Old Testament. So we need to wonder this. You need to honor God with what God has given. God gave the Old Testament, so you have to have a rightful connection to the Old Testament. And then He gives this example of marriage to flesh it out, chapter. Chapter seven verse two. He goes, four. A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So disclaimer, this is going to talk about marriage. This is not the New Testament's discursus on the ins and out of marriage. And immediately if you're if you're like Bible savvy you've read before, there are some greater, more detailed teachings that the New Testament gives on marriage, especially what happens in a marriage when the, when the spouse of a person abandons the marriage? Sexually, physically abandons it. There's some more detailed teaching on that. But this passage here is not about the detailed teaching of this. This passage here is referencing what is already known clearly, that marriage is a lifelong union. So this is, doesn't exhaust the topic. But marriage is a lifelong union, and, and these people knew it. That's why Paul could tie into it. So in two, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and she marries another man. She is not an adulteress. Okay, this is analogous to, like, what are these people? What is your beholding to, your connection to the Old Testament? And when we first come to know Jesus, we know nothing, right? We, we know the basics as a baby. Like, man, I am a sinner. I'm in trouble. I want rescue and safe and, 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 and salvation from this. And now, Jesus, you're the Savior of all men. I trust you. Save my soul. And then he starts unpacking all the amazing things around that. What happened? But you don't know that in the opening day, right? When you come to know Jesus, you do not know how you connect to the Old Testament. So if you're sitting here thinking, I should have known that, maybe not. But you'll know it today, hopefully. Or or at least you'll dive into the topic a little bit. So he's unfolding these wonderful, amazing details. But some of the truth is, if God truly spoke in the Old Testament, and he did, if all of a sudden there was a new way given, and they were belonging to the God of the Old Testament, but they're adopting the new way, the argument here is they would be two-timing. They would belong married to one, but now moved in with another. So he's using this this example to say, like, in the marriage, it's lifelong. And if someone was two-timing, that's adultery. But unless there was a death that occurred. Um, Look a little farther down here in the text here. In verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another. In the death of Jesus, when we first come to think about the death of Jesus, we say, okay, Jesus, I know that you died for me. You died for me. And he did die for us substitution. But there's a whole deeper side of it that you'll run into time and time again. It's this in Christ language, this union with Christ language. Okay, so if you've never heard of that, make a new little category, a little folder in your mind here, union with Christ. Because not only did he die for you, but you died with him when you put your faith in Jesus. And you rose with him. And you will reign with him. So when the father looks on the son and treats the son, you're in him. You're in him. You're part of who he is. So what's being taught here is that when when Jesus died and when we died with Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus. The reason the law no longer has, has a hold on us is because we died to it. The only way out of the law is to die because the law is for you as long as you live but here's the crazy thing the day you came to know jesus that was your death day and you truly died to it so what do we do with the old testament here's a question what do you do with the old testament consider these things how do we see the old testament we as christians new covenant believers have died to it with we see with all the respect and complete belief we would give to a god breathed out history with all the respect and all the belief we would give to a God-breathed-out history, because it is. The Old Testament is God's breathed-out history and plan. It came from him. It's beautiful. So hats off, salute. We stand in awe, and we read it and think about it and memorize the God-given history. Number two, it also included a holy, perfect, and good set of instructions given for a certain time and people before us. So check this out. It holds a history that we still admire and cling to. The second part is it holds a holy, perfect, and good set of instructions given by God for a certain time and people before us. And that's not us. Okay? So, full of instructions, absolutely. My favorite one reference was you could eat, you know, catfish. You could eat carp, but you could eat catfish, right? You couldn't have shrimp. All those kind of things. Those are things you could and couldn't do. The instructions of the Old Testament were for a group of people, and they were good and perfect and holy, but they were for a certain group of people at a time before us. Number three, how do we see the Old Testament? It is a magnificent, multi millennium set of promises, prophecy, and preparation for the perfect Messiah King Jesus. So, what is the Old Testament? We love the history of it. We read it, we believe it. Number two, we see a bunch of instructions that were really good for a different people that are not us. And three, The whole Testament is the plan and the prophecies and the promises of this coming Messiah, King Jesus. So the Old Testament, we love it. We just don't look there for our instructions of obedience because the day we died in Christ, we died out from under the marriage to that law so that we could then be married to another who is Jesus and who leads us on. He doesn't need to lead us any less. He leads us differently at the end of our text here. So that's how we see the Mosaic Law, and for um, and how do we kind of think about it? it? the the rules of it in the Old Testament. Uh, maybe my way of describing how the rules and instruction of the Old Testament, because the New Covenant is better than the old one. The old one is like kind of a hard but good old governor that no longer reigns. It was there. It was installed by God. It was good, but it was hard. So we, as Christians, died out of the contract between the Mosaic Code because we died with Christ, and because we are listening to what Christ says here, we openly belong to Christ in his new contract and have zero responsibility to obey the Mosaic code. In his words, these are his words, we died to the law and belong to another who is Jesus Christ. So marriage ends up being also an analogy for how Christ would come, and we belong to him, and we look to his teachings. And it's not as two-timing, but Friends, brothers, sisters, I would say it becomes very important for you to know what to do with the Old Testament. What do you do with the Old Testament? Do you just like uh, act like it's not there? Um, Don't act like it's not there. It actually came from God. He's given it to you to read. But number one, he is not going to instruct you in obedience through the Mosaic Coding Longer. But he is going to instruct you in history through it. He is going to instruct you in his plan in it. He is going to instruct you about the Messiah. All those things are there. We go back in the Psalms and we read and we look at the heart of what it meant for people to follow Jesus. That third song we sang today was actually almost all written exactly out of Psalm 42. Um, And that's God's people like us interacting with God through hardships of life and looking to God as a great provider even though things were tough. So we have a great appreciation for the Old Testament, but we don't look there for our instructions for obedience. We don't look there for instructions for obedience. I would challenge you to think about how you would explain that to somebody, just so you could challenge how you understand that, okay? So challenge how you understand it by challenging how you'd explain to somebody. Maybe you're MCs this week, talk about it. How would you explain what you do and don't do with the Old Testament, it's very important Marriage becomes a wonderful analogy. And at the end, the end fruit is, because we died with Christ, we can belong to Christ in his teachings. And that's what we want. We want to belong to Christ. Look in verse four. It's our second point. We are always utterly fruitful. We are always utterly fruitful. Likewise, my brothers, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that, key words, in order that, so it's saying what just came before there is needed so that what comes after this can happen. In order that we may bear fruit for God. So you and I cannot bear fruit for God unless the thing happens to us before the in order that. So the argument, verse four, if you're if your little peeper's looking at it is we died to the law so we could belong to Jesus so that we could bear fruit for God. You cannot bear fruit for God if you do not belong to Jesus. Belonging to Jesus precedes and enables bearing fruit to God. Okay, so let's just break this out a little bit. in the room today, I guarantee you are people that don't know what it means to follow Jesus yet, or you're resisting for one reason or another. And online, God bless you. So we're out there. Some of us don't. Maybe we even understand what it means to follow Jesus, but we refuse. And some of us don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. Throw this under the hopper if you don't know Jesus. Um, and also for all of us as believers in the room, throw this into the hopper for your consideration as you think about your friends who don't know Jesus and explain things to Je- them. There is a propensity in our hearts to think, that we bear fruit, and when we bear enough fruit, that eventually God is pleased with us and accepts us. Well, I don't know. We'll see when we get there, right? I'm going to do my best and find out when we get there. Here's the words of Jesus to you. You've got nothing. Until you belong to him, you cannot please please him. If you don't belong to Jesus, belong, you can spend your whole life shaving off your money and your body and your time and all your efforts and your tears and we can put you up as an icon of humanity and you bring to the table when God says put on the scale you'll find you have nothing at all to put on the scale you've never done a single thing in your entire life of labor that has ever once been one ounce of fruit for the pleasure of God not one moment because you cannot please God until you belong to God, incredibly helpful, incredibly humbling, incredibly breaking in that moment when you're wrestling with who Jesus is, and all of a sudden you realize all the things I've been trying to do. And He goes, "Not a moment, not a moment, but you can have me. Will you stop striving? Will you stop and will you allow me to own you?" Will you allow me to die for you? Will you die with me in my death? Will you allow me to die and rise for you that I may own you? And when I own you, I change you and you start fruiting in a different way. You start fruiting in in a different way. So that in the order of that is amazingly powerful. In the next chapter is another statement that's mind-blowing as one of my favorite verses. I quoted it to our MC the other night. Um, That has been so useful for me in sharing this message with people because in an American culture at least, we just have this idea that, man, can't we do something? And if I don't just enough of those somethings make God okay with me? And God goes, no, you could never do anything. So owning precedes the ability to please. And then the second part is this. In the gospel, you know, oh, I won't put the slide up today. But, you know, when, we talk, when I talk through gospel, right, we start in God and we move down to fall. We're separated from God. And then there's the proposition, the offer. People, when they really are looking at the gospel, the number one reason that they don't want the offer that the payment of the cross buys is because it comes with ownership. I don't want to be owned by Jesus. I don't want him as my king. Maybe he's my advisor, but that's not what he offers. Maybe he's simply my friend, but that's not what he offers. Jesus is the king of my life. I don't want that because I want to have the wheel. I don't want Jesus to take the wheel as could be said, right? That idea of ownership is to the unbeliever appalling and to the believer everything. That you would be and, and so so man challenge your thinking in this. To be owned by Jesus, there's who else would be a better owner? You? and your short little piddly 60 years of life, and your IQ under 200, and your twisted heart, and your relationships you completely mess up, and all the patterns of wrong thinking you have, you would be a better king of your life, and a better queen of your life? I think not. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is the good king. And it is so good to be owned by him, so he's perfect in leadership of us. But then listen to the love. We are his possession. He Loves us. He doesn't pocket hoard you, stuff you in his pocket of treasury as just another little tool. He loves you intensely and protects you and stands with you. He goes, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's not someone sticking you in his bag of pawns. To be owned by Jesus, yes, it means his authority, but it means to be under the active protection and cherishing and loving of the Savior of the universe who would go even lay his life down for you. It's a really, really sweet thing to die in Jesus, to be owned by Jesus. And it becomes, the funny thing is, by the work of the Spirit, it becomes the thing that we dread is now the thing that we love. The one that we were against becomes now the one that we're under, and we would have it no other way. Look at verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, while we were living in the flesh, my argument here, just for you scholarly type, is That's not simply talking about unsaved, but saved people before Christ who didn't have the spirit living under the old covenant law. Okay, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Okay, so here's, here's, a, here's a byproduct. When you had that Old Testament code, written down code of do this at this time to this degree to these people, that was good and that was from the Lord. And God would say, don't simply do it, but do it from the heart. And never ever in the Old Testament was anybody saved by doing the law, number one. Okay, you were saved by grace through faith in the Old Testament. But then the obedience was codified, what you should do, how you should do it, to what degree, what time. Those kinds of things are laid down right there on paper. It's a code. But never were you allowed to just do it. God wanted it from the heart. There's plenty of rebukes in the Old Testament about doing it with ulterior motives or careless motives or not doing it with joy. He says a broken and contrite spirit, that's what I desire not just these sacrifices. So he's always been giving us those things that he had wanted us to do. But that code, when it would come into you, it would stir your heart in its sinful passions. So unique to the Old Testament code and the way it would affect, it's different for us now as New Testament believers, when you as an Old Testament believer would bring upon yourself in God's grace, the code of obedience, you weren't resting in it for salvation, but you're trying to obey through the code, it would stimulate and frustrate sin inside you. And it was designed to do that so you would further look for a savior. You look for the one who would come and forgive us and bring new things to us. And so the code, as good as it was, would land in your heart. And it's like, I have a big pool we're tearing down in our backyard, I hate it. Um, but if you throw something big in that pool, water displacement it, it crunches everything up in a small porch. So when you throw the law into someone's heart, throw it there, it would compress their flesh and it would it would it would infuriate, right? It's kind of like um, I don't think Melissa's here, is she I think she's downstairs. Okay, she's downstairs. So I was born without an internal code of fashion, and uh When um, we got married, this amazing thing would happen, like clothes would just get raptured out of my closet. <laughs> and, and, Meli- and Melissa has a, re- she's really honest, except for my clothes. And I would say, babe, have you seen my, my good green sweatshirt? Because I had these green jeans that my green sweatshirt went with really well, I thought. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it in, in, in weeks, maybe days. And then time and time these things would happen. Then she goes and takes me shopping. And I, my number one value in, in clothing is comfort. I don't want to be uncomfortable. It needs to work. It needs to function. It needs to be comfortable. I've learned that with my wife and many of you ladies and some of you dudes, obviously, um, comfort is not the primary thing. You you will stick your foot in a shoe that you think looks good even though it turns your foot into a hoof over the years. You know what I mean, like, <laughs> as long as it looks good. So sometimes she'd take me shopping, and she put this, give me this shirt, and um, my size is I am a Extra large, tall, Um, but most places don't have an extra large tall, so you get a double XL, also known as a tent. Um, Just turns into this giant thing, and so she's always fighting against it, and she'll give me this. She'll slip in just this one large every now and then. I put it on. I just get so angry Um, to have my body compressed in a shirt to um, if I do your wedding, my, my, I don't lean forward and hug very much because my arms stick right there. And it just makes me angry every time. And um, <laughs> it's an adjutant, right? This text talks about this, this stirring, this agitation. Um, the law, the written code, I'm back in now. The written code <laughs> um, is an adjutant to sin in your life by design. It's an adjutant to sin in your life. My argument would be if you, at the end of our chapter here, refuse to walk in the spirit, but insist on trying to use a written code for finding your obedience, you will experience a lot of frustration, anger, anxiety because it will become an adjutant to you because you're not designed to work that way. You'll start to taste the frustrations that the people of the Old Testament have. The good law of God in their life as they did it from the heart would actually cause a parallel agitation that was designed to make them wait for Jesus and it's not designed for you anymore. So in our text here, verse five, he says, we, um, we bear fruit. We bear fruit. Either fruit that would go for death or fruit that goes for life. Fruit is unavoidable. My friends, you're fruiting all over the place. You are. You're just fruiting all over the place. The issue is, what is it, and what does it indicate about you? Right? Is it fruit leading to death, or is it fruit leading to life? If you don't know Jesus, all of your fruit is death. It is. It may look good, but it's all death. If you're a Christian, some of your fruit is still death fruit. When you're th- not thinking of Jesus, you're bearing fruit of death. But you also are bearing fruit that goes to life. So, what is your fruit, and how do you identify it? Um, ideas of the fruit. So, we found the fruit in the last passage that Dempsey preached to us. I'm not going to go back and read it. The end of chapter six. Have a good time. Read it there. Talks about fruit that points, shows us that we're leading to death, or fruit that actually yields sanctification and joy and pleasure in God and pleasure to God. But what is this fruit? Um, this fruit are the things in your life um, that you can spot. Consider this. Um, fruit is where your time is invested, where your mind is occupied in, emotional and attitude attachment to the actions and words that you use. Uh, fruit for God or fruit for death. Um, for the v- those of us that live in homes with more than one person, just think about some of the people that share the home with you they can probably identify some of the fruit in your life. What does this person bring to my life? Do they bring anxiety, anger, agitation, uh, a person to be avoided? What do they bring to it? Or do they bring joy? Do they bring forgiveness? Do they bring love? Do they bring peace? Do they bring truth, provision, and kindness? And then what is the end effect of that? What is the end effect of your fruit? Does your fruit entice and help and compel people to find their delight in God or something else? The good fruit will come from the heart and it will have effect helping everyone around you look to and delight and hope in God or else the fruit is bad fruit and it will do something else. So we're fruiting all over the place. Where is yours pointing? Because the joy is for us as believers, our fruit does bring pleasure to God. The children of God who've been loved by Christ through the work of Christ, we now have the opportunity to bring pleasure to him. There are times that we as Christians, loved by God, perfectly pleasing to him in this sense, can still bring displeasure to him. We can grieve his heart. We really can sin against him. And so therefore, he calls us into this idea of being accepted by him and seeking forward into his pleasures. Consider words of Christ in John 8. Says, he says, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Colossians 1.10 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Hebrews 13, do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So brothers and sisters, you're always fruiting, always are fruiting, but what fruit is it? Can you identify it? Can you identify the effects that fruit is bringing on people? And since we're owned by him, we're designed to fruit for him on his behalf. We are owned by Christ for the purpose of bearing good fruit by which we glorify God. Those good fruit illuminate and adorn God's justification and sanctification in our lives, granting us sweetest life now and eternal life when he takes us home. Third piece is this. Leads us now in a new way. Wait, I just read something. I just want you to hear In case that's the only thing you listened to today, you didn't listen to it carefully, I'm going to go back to the last statement and make clarity. I said this. Those good fruit illuminate and adorn God's justification and sanctification in our lives, granting us sweetest life now and eternal life when he takes us home. His justification grants us life. His sanctification leads us forward. Our fruit simply illuminates it and adorns it. You don't do things to make God give you eternal life, right? Remember, being owned precedes pleasing God. Finally, our last point today. God leads us now in a new way. God leads us now in a new way. Verse 6. But now we are released from the law as our source of de- direction from God, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve God in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So that we serve God. So remember from the last two texts, we're not simply like... Um, citizens citizens of a new king where the king might occasionally call out for us to serve him and then we begrudgingly do the task and get him off our back. No, way beyond that. We're servants of the living God. We live to serve him. We're seeking. What's on your heart? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? We're coming. That's our new heart right in Christ. We are servants of the living God seeking his desires and wants. This text tells us that we cannot bear fruit to God aside from being spirit led into his service. Why do I say that? Look at 6 carefully. Having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve God in a new way of the Spirit. So we cannot serve God and bear fruit to him now, rightly, unless it is through the Spirit. If you are interested in bringing God pleasure, if you're interested in serving him, also known as if you're a Christian, you cannot do that unless you're doing it through the Spirit now. That's why all this stuff makes so much sense. That's why the old law, well, we had to die to it. So we could belong to Christ, and through Christ, to the Spirit He's put in us, we now have the ability to actually walk in the way, because the only way that God is pleased by his children that he perfectly loves is when we are led by the Spirit, not looking for his leadership in some other fashions, such as a written code in the Old Testament, or some kind of created New Testament written code that we don't have, but you made yourself. Off of old flannel graphs. So number one, we serve the Lord. Number two, we cannot bear fruit to God aside from being spirit-led into service now, which is abiding and relational. Even think through John 15, right? How do we bear fruit? We abide with the Father. By abiding in the Father, we bear much fruit, and so prove to be His disciples. And by bearing fruit, we bring glory to God. How do you do that? Two things. Number one, we read what the Spirit says in the New Testament. Spirit of God wrote the New Testament. Number two. We seek the leading and power for that unique what, when, and how from the Spirit in prayer. So number one, we read what the Spirit said, New Testament. And number two, we seek it. All right, I have an example. I'm not sure if this example will work for you. I'm trying it out for the first time, okay. Nasty woods of sins. we got briars and thistles and poison ivy and poison sumac, evidently, in our churches right now. Um, and you got all this whole woods, right? In the Old Testament, God comes in and says, I'm going to clear it out. Um, no the poison ivy, no to the thistles, no to the briar, no to the lying, no to the stealing, no to the adultery, right? Chop, 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 no. He clears the field of things that grieve his heart. Then the Old Testament goes, okay, then in place of this new cutting in the forest, D- and, and don't go outside don't go outside. I'm making this spot of holiness for you. I want you to do these specific things in these specific times. I want you to give, so giving I want you to give ten percent at this time. Then I want you to be benevolent by leaving this percentage of your crops on the fields here. Then I want you to celebrate this ceremony on this day, in this way, with these right very specified the plants were planted by specification. In the new covenant, he still clears the deck. He still says no to the briars, no to the thistles, like no stealing, no adultery, no lust. He still cuts it clean, but what he wants planted inside, he now leads by the Spirit. He's told us love, 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 love. And in our hearts, we're like, okay, tell me when. Um, I, okay, I just, I just want to put on the calendar, because I run everything by my calendar, right? Decide day for obedience, like I just want to have my calendar... So, we have this propensity towards it, but that's not how the Spirit does it now. He has negatively cleared the field. He's told us things He doesn't want us to do, but then the specifics of how to love, He'll lead us by His Spirit. The reality in this text is you can't serve God in the newness if functioning in the oldness. Here's the deal as a Christian, you did die to the, the law, whether you knew it or not. You now do live to Christ. This is the new, and this is how He's calling you to live. But if you insist on functioning, like an Old Testament written code, you don't bring fruit to him. You don't bring pleasure to him in those ways, and you suffer the effects and the loss in your life. Why would you want to do it? Because I want to do it. It's just, it's just easier. I, I, I remember uh, sitting with a, uh, a guy doing some counseling one time who messed a bunch of stuff. He goes, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what I need to do. It's like, thank you. That's all I need to know. Because he just wants to know what he needs to do so he can get back on with things. I don't need to fix it. I need to. I need to do my my Hail Marys. I need to do my my good deeds to get back into the perfection I had so that I can get on with my godless life of self. That's what he wanted to know. But there's other reasons why we like to know what to do. Why we I might mean tempted into a code. There's a few things. Number one, we do like to self-justify. Uh, number two, I think for a lot of us, really, we are so. Wrestle with selfishness. Oh, and this is me. I'm not talking down at you. This is, this is me. Coffee all day long, I'll tell you about it. I love to know when I can quit so I can play. I want to know how much I need to do so that I can get on with the Scott life. It's just, yeah, and just fight with it. I really fight with it. You're my friend. You know it's me. And then number three, some of us really love to manage other people. To conveniently approve, disapprove, and process others. To conveniently process rather than love them. This is where fellowship in the New Covenant, where we're led by the Spirit, is really tricky. I feel the Lord led me to sell my house and move to Colorado. Man, we want a code to be able to check that by. Like, they say that Leviticus... Uh, does that say at first hesitations? Or where, where can I have, where's that code, right? Because it's just messy, it's hard when, we have, when we're being led by the Spirit together. So there's a number of reasons why not living by a code is not convenient and why a code would seemingly be convenient to us. But brothers and sisters, I want to put it out to you. That the one to whom you belong in this text, he wants to lead you and he wants to lead you into honor and glory and pleasure and joy. And the way that he says he does that will be in the new way, not the old way of a written code, but in the new way of the Spirit, which means a lot of a prayer life. How are you going to know what the Spirit saying? I'm just telling you, if you're going to expect to just keep bopping along in life and all of a sudden like hear from the back of the seat in the minivan, hey, go talk to Sally. That's probably not how the Spirit of God is going to be functioning. It's not how the Spirit of God functions. We do look to the Word of the Spirit. We keep our minds in God's Word, and then we seek Him. Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to go to? Where do you want us to live? What do you want me to do today? I've got 24 hours of work uh, of time to do. How do you want me to do this? I think in our flesh, we know that sounds exhaustively relational, exhaustively mindful, and I don't want to be mindful. I want to be mindless. I want to click it off and binge watch something else. But brothers and sisters, The joy of life that Christ gives us is in relationship with Jesus. One where we do recognize he's with us, and we grow more and more in the love of that, finding joy in that. The new life he's given you, the life of fruit, such your fruit is no longer against him but for him, is equipped by Christ, is carried out by the Spirit in you as you progressively grow in your prayer life in order to know the mind and leading of the Spirit. You can't do it without having your nose first in the scriptures, but then number two, you can't do it without being on your knees, asking the Lord, do I speak now, do I not speak now? Do I stand up, do I not stand up? I'm not saying like every 15 seconds you say, Lord, should I make a left or should I make a right? But throughout the day, we're having this ongoing relationship of what do you want me to do? If we don't, and might I say this, as we step in, into this moment by moment relationship with jesus i think that we will find the eradication of a lot of discontent and depression and anxiety in our life because we've been trying to operate marginally and minimally rather than abiding with christ give me a code let me know i'm done so i can get on with my day and that's not how jesus works jesus called you into relationship with him brothers sisters as infinitely and perfectly loved children of God, we have now have the opportunity to serve our perfect God and King and to actually bring Him pleasure by the fruit of our life. And He wants you to know that while you should deeply appreciate and know His Old Testament in showing His character and plan for the world, we're no longer to go there for instructions for obedience. Rather, we get to serve Him and bear fruit for Him uniquely now by seeking and following His leading brought to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let's pray. So Father, um, there's a lot there. And I pray that you would help us, in the end, rejoice in being owned by Christ through his death, and that Lord, we would have a great appreciation, a, a, a great appreciation for this new life of being led by the Spirit, And that, Father, you might let us taste new realities of that and the joy of it and how much better that is than us agitating our hearts by trying to live with some kind of written checklist. Um, Show us, Lord, the liberation that comes from the leading of the Spirit. Please be glorified to honor us. Father, as a church, we as Cross City, your family, one of your families, um, Father, I pray that you please help us by your Spirit, and teach us more deeply and truly and genuinely what it means to walk in the Spirit and to see and notice him leading and then empowering us to go about um, the sharing of your gospel, to go out the faithfully discharging the job you've given us, to parenting, to responding to people, to suffering, all the aspects of our lives where we look to you and you lead us and that you give us heart to follow you and that we would have fruit That would bring us joy, fruit that would bring you joy and give illumination to the world around us that we have a great king who leads us well and cares for us. We love you and we thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.